I've heard this my whole career. I'm still hearing it now that leaders, teammates, employees are all really frustrated. They're frustrated. In fact, they're exhausted and it's causing um, a human energy crisis. And they're exhausted um, to the point of you've got apathy happening in the workplace where people kind of just go through their emotions or you have quiet quitting um, or you have quiet firing where you have restructuring going, all right, well, we're going to cut out this fat, if you will, um, and just kind of trim this down. And I just I I think at the end of the day, you win or lose and you thrive in life as well if you're connected to people that you really want to be around and you want to succeed with. Hi, team, and welcome to the CEO Podcast. This is a place where we will have conversations on culture and team chemistry. We will deconstruct why there actually is an I in team from the strategies and attributes of the highest impact people and teams out there, so that in turn, you can apply as tools in your life, business, and sports. My name and your host is Kevin Rutherford. I'm a CEO and leader by trade and training. I've directed teams to successful acquisition and exit while also creating recognized cultures where people want to work and play. So let's jump right into today's episode. This is producer Brian. Get us into this first episode. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us some background. Give us the origin story. Who are you? Who am I? Yeah. Well, let's just say every Canadian likes to start with their Canadian. (laughs) So I have to start with that. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I, I, gosh, um, there's so many chapters of life, but I guess the best way to describe me maybe, um, or describe myself is just, I'm really, I'm really passionate about health, wellness, fitness, um, and then how that all works together in, um, an environment of culture and teams and, Maybe that's my sports upbringing from a very early age. And yes, the answer is yes when it comes to hockey, because all Canadians are born with skates on. Well, let's take it back way back in the chronology then. What was young Kevin, Kev, thinking about? What did he want to be when he grew up? What was he thinking about? So there was, without a doubt, I wanted to be a professional hockey player. I wasn't even close to making that just to be clear. Um, but that's what I wanted to be like. Absolutely. I loved sports. I loved being with friends and just playing and I would play for hours and hours and hours and hours. Um, by the way, chronologically, as time went on and I realized I wasn't going to make it, then I was also thinking my backup plan was I wanted to be a sports commentator. (laughs) I didn't make that either. (laughs) Wait, so did you play hockey? Did you make the teams? I mean, yeah, I did. I did. Um, I played a lot of hockey as a kid, played competitively um, up until kind of mid to late teens. Uh, and it was, um, yeah, it was my passion point of, of, I went all in and it was interesting because as a kid, I was, um, I was actually a pretty good athlete and, you know, I played some football, I played some baseball, but what I really wanted to play was hockey if I could give myself advice, uh, go back to my younger self, I'd say, keep playing those other sports too. Cause I let it go. Um, and meaning I just wanted to focus all in cause I felt like that's what I was supposed to do. Yeah. Did you have siblings? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, so 
I actually have three other siblings. So my um, mom and dad had two kids, my older sister and I. Um, and then um, when my parents got divorced and remarried, my mom had a couple more kids. Uh, so Christine and Patrick are um, from my mom and Doug, my stepfather. And then, of course, my, mom, my dad, Art, and my mom uh, had Barb, my older sister and I. So you're kind of, do you feel like a middle child or do you feel like a firstborn because you're the oldest son? That's a really good question because I feel many things. I will say this. Um, today, I feel like middle child. That's true. However, um, because there's such a big gap between um, me and my younger sister, Christine, uh, in many ways, I feel like the kid. Um, because my older sister is four years older than me. And, um, you know, that was up until I was, gosh, must've been close to 15 years of age. Sorry, Christine, if I got that wrong, but somewhere around there. Um, so I, I, I kind of have a mixed, I've kind of have a mixed, I was an old soul too, as a kid. I, um, I, I really, I was a very responsible kid. So I was the kid, but yet I acted very mature and uh, well beyond my years, which is kind of odd for kids to do. I asked that question with context because, you know, now that you founded companies and you're starting new ventures, uh, in some ways there is, is a bit of a family dynamic when you put together a team, you know, and if you're the founder, the CEO, you know, if you're in charge, you tend to be, you know, sort of like the father figure, uh, and you have to understand the dynamics of your team, you know, first hire, second hire, third hire, and these are sort of end up, well, you tell me, is it, is it a little bit like family dynamics uh, in a company when you're putting a team together? Yeah, I think, I think there is. I, I think a lot about, I've done so much reflection trying to figure what, what the DNA is um, for me and how that's uh, been transformative within, you know, my life and business and, and life in general. And I think um, one of the things I got, I will say this from my dad, um, my dad was always the kind of leader and captain of the team. He wasn't the best player. He would tell you that he's passed away now, but he would tell you I wasn't the most talented, but he always was the leader. Um, my mom was the one that always believed in people, um, believed, uh, with a lot of empathy, um, kind heart and always assumes positive intent. And I think those attributes come back to me as a business leader, um, where I think I kind of play both of those. What I love about those two things in my parents, that's what I gravitated with. And I think you're right. I think the a team can have very much a family atmosphere. It's not a family, um, because, you know, family obviously is stays intact for good, um, where that's not necessarily the case in, in any team, um, in business or sports. So a little bit different that way. Yeah. And so uh, what did you learn or what did you take from, uh, from your mom and your dad? Do you think you're, you're 50, 50 or more like mom or more like dad in some, some regards? I, I think, I think the extrovert in me is, it feels like I'm more like my dad. Um, yet I, you know, I really do approach many conversations with people assuming positive intent. Um, I think, you know, my, my dad was a bit more of a life of the party. My mom was quiet and I probably kind of play more on my mom's side. Um, but the inner, the inner dad comes out. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the guy in the hockey dressing room last night. I'm playing hockey with, with the guys. And what do I do? I pull up my phone, put on Spotify. Cause I'm like, it's too quiet in here. Let's get this, let's get some energy going before the party game started. Yeah. So I have a bit of both. I, I don't know if it, I don't know what the split is. Uh, while we're on that subject. So what is the, uh, 
Do you have a playlist? Like, what's your go-to? Do you have a genre or like a... Oh, yeah. So, I'm such a dork. Um, I I am absolutely... Uh, I, I listen to a lot of different music, but it's really like top hits, hip-hop kind of feel to just, you know, just anything. So, it could go from... Typically, a Foo Fighters, what I'm going to put on is one of my favorites. Um, but, you know, the Canadian me has to come out. Sorry about this if I'm offending people, but Justin Bieber's got to come out and Usher. And those are some of my, those are my faves. That's yeah. kind of the, the, that's kind of the tone. It's about high energy and uh, positivity. Yeah. Do you have like one of these, um, like the, I have like background music, like when, when, uh, the, when the rubber hits the road, like do you have one of these like, you put it on for mo- mo- instant motivation, like a single song that you think about? Uh, I don't have a single song, yeah. like truthfully. Um, I really just kind of put on almost anything. Of course, Eminem, you know, from 8 Mile is, is probably a, is, is always a go-to, I think mm-hmm. for most people, Lose Yourself. But um, I don't know if I have a song, truthfully. I, I, I can just, just put on some high energy, feel good tunes, let's do this thing. So from... From an early age, you were engaged in sports. You're interested in hockey. You played other sports. Um, what did being part of a team or being in sports teach you then uh, to what you're implementing now in in business? I'll tell you, I think um, I've had this conversation with other business leaders in the past, and I think some of the best teammates and employees that you can have are those that have played team sports. And the reason I say that is think about what you need to do when you have to be with people um, at all these different ages in sports. You have to learn not just to win, because of course we all want to win, but you also have to learn how to lose. You also have to learn um, how to deal with teammates that maybe aren't performing or giving their all. Um, you need to deal with teammates, maybe that might be a bit of a toxin in the locker room or on the bench. Um, so in, in the case of hockey, and so what are you going to do about that? And I will tell you, one of the things that, um, I really found myself doing was I was one of those people that was very vocal on the bench and on the ice, but it was never yelling at my teammates ever. It was ever. I can't honestly think of one instance. It might have but I cannot think of one. It's yelling and encouraging your teammates. Let's go. Let's go. Because at the end of the day, we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that for the most part, that is, that's who I am in business as well. Yeah. Say more about that. Um, so what do you do when you have that a player, but who's maybe a little toxic, uh, a little corrosive to the team, but they're scoring goals and, and they're, you know, carrying more than their weight, towing more than their line. Yeah, I, I would say, um, for the most part, what my, my approach is, ask them questions, have them do self-reflection to see what they need to do better. Um, you're almost leading the witness is really what you're trying to do here. Then, then you shift to the gear of giving very, you know, a little more direction of trying to help them get there. Um, and then the the reality is, is if if it becomes toxic and is starting to spread within the team, then it doesn't matter how good anyone is. No one's bigger than the team. Um, and then you have to make a change, which um, I really don't like doing that, but have done it and had to do it many times. Um, but yeah, but it, you always start with, listen, self-reflection for them, help them understand 
they need to feel like they matter. They need to feel like they're heard. And that that's that's where that's the starting point almost every single time. Can you think of someone in sports history, whether it's NHL or another team, a player like that that you can think of that was an amazing player, but not that great a teammate? Oh, not that great a teammate. That's not where I thought you were going to go. Oh, crap. Um, I'm not thinking someone right, right away, but but here here's, here's what I would say is... Um, you know, I think Michael Jordan's really beloved. I actually was not um, a big basketball fan. Not that I'm anti-basketball. I just didn't follow it as closely. And when I watched The Last Dance, there's many things about Michael Jordan that actually made me pause. Um, and in he's clearly very talented. And he clearly makes people rise up around him, which is amazing. Um, but some, sometimes I just think his approach with his teammates, I, I'm not sure it was the right thing to do. Um, <laughs> so like such as, such as what? Well, it, it just seemed like he would actually call people out and yell at them. And, um, I almost felt he was a little bit demeaning in terms of how he would speak to them. That, that's what it felt like. Yeah. Yeah. He was calling them out, but it was, it was abusive, perhaps, you know, yeah. seen through someone else's lens. People were afraid of him. We were his teammates and we were afraid of him. And there was just fear. That's what I want to throw it to you. I just throw it to you. The fear factor of, of MJ was so, so thick. Yeah, let's not get it wrong. He was an He was a jerk. He crossed the line numerous times. But as time goes on and you think back about what he was actually trying to accomplish... You're like, yeah, he was a hell of a teammate. He was pushing us all to be better because he wanted to win. And guess what? It worked. We kind of needed that, you know what I'm saying? I needed him to be the bad guy, the tough guy. Exactly. Clearly super talented, and um, there's many things to admire about him. You know, on the opposite spectrum, um, where I think there's a lot of good examples of this one is uh, – you know, I think Mark Messier um, in the sport of hockey is is a really good example. You know, he's possibly known as one of the best captains out there because he was somebody that would lead by example um, in the dressing room, in the locker room, but also on the ice. And and I think that's that's what you need to do to kind of lead the team. And and the you can just tell when the players really respect them. Um, I will tell you, I, I have heard of, and I, I'm I'm losing. Um, uh, the names on this one. So maybe it's less relevant, but it's actually the sport of hockey. Uh, a good friend of mine is um, an executive with the Minnesota wild. And he was describing a star player at one point that, um, you know, was kind of losing some respect within the the locker room and as talented as they were, they had to make a change. And w one of the things was, I, again, I can't remember the specific example, but I do think of this in the business sense is there should never be anything that you're not willing to do that you would ask someone else to do. Um, so this may not be on the ice, but it might be moving something away in the locker room somewhere else in this case for Minnesota wild. The same thing is I would sleep on the floor when we have an Airbnb and there's like 10 or 12 or 15 or 20 of us sleeping in a house, um, for a trade show. Mm -hmm. And I would never ask somebody else to do it if I wasn't going to do it. And I did do it. And I think the team could attest to that or Simon Sinek eaters eat last, you know, of course I'm going to stand at the back of the line and let everyone else eat and get their stuff and then figure out what I want to get. So 
Yeah. Lead by example. Yeah. I'm um, uh, just thinking <laughs> I'm a huge fan of pop culture. Uh, I don't watch a lot of TV, but one of my all-time favorite shows is The Office. Have you ever seen The Office? Of course. Yeah. So I think about Michael Scott, who is, the, you know, the of course. Uh, world's best uh, manager, I think, says on his mug. <laughs> so he uh, must be. World's favorite boss. <laughs> but I think about that episode. Uh, remember that episode where uh, he's he's uh, thinking about his departure from Dunder Mifflin. They're uh, at a beach excursion, and he brings in uh, hot coals to walk over. Did you see this episode? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So this is the episode where he's, like, trying to vet out or trying to, like, uh, find his replacement, and he thinks that a series of tasks or sort of like a survivor-esque challenge is going to help uh, find the best person for the job. And, uh, you know, he lays out the hot coals, he prepares the coals, and then suddenly realizes this is probably not the best idea. Who among you has the guts to replace me? Let him walk across these coals. Are you going to try it? I'm not going to walk in the fire after your disgusting feet have gone through. Angela, it is a million degrees. I'm going to do it. And I fully expect to burn my feet and go to the hospital. That's the right spirit when doing a coal walk, right? No, no, not you, Pam. You have to keep score. I'd like to try Pointless. it. Pointless. But I'm not kidding. I really want to do it. Okay? This is about guts. It takes guts to be a regional manager. Jim, you're up. Nope. Ju why not? Come on. Oh, because I don't want my feet to get burned. And actually decides not to step on the coals. Uh, but do you know what happens afterwards? Like, do you remember? But Pam? So, yeah. Pam. Well, first, Dwight... Uh, sacrifices himself. He says, you know, I'll do anything oh, right. for this yeah. for this job. And he starts walking on the coals saying, I'm only going to get off unless you give me this job. And then he sort of begins melting in a sort of like Star Wars episode uh, where Anakin is like burning over the hot coals and, and people have to rescue him. You do not have what it takes to be a regional manager. Why don't you go, Michael? Because I already did. Remember? I burned my foot on the George Foreman grill. That is not the same at all. If you're going to ask other people to do it, you should do it yourself. All right, okay, all right, fine. No, it's okay. I will do this, Michael. Don't. I will walk and stand on these coals until you award me the position of regional manager. Right. Dwight, 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 Dwight keep, keep moving keep if you're going to walk there. Keep, keep, coming. Coming. keep coming. Give me the jump. Give me the job! I'm not going to give it to you. He does not get the job, but then later when no one's looking, Pam does the hot coal crossing. Hundred percent. Uh and then that that famous line, like after she gives her speech, Michael says, uh, Pam, that was amazing, but I'm still looking for someone with sales experience. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's like some classic. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I love, love, love The Office. Yeah. Um, I, I, since we're on that one, I just, I'll just i just pause us here for, for that one. Um, this is a big shout out to a teammate of mine, um, Mike Summers and uh, from Noon Hydration. And we talked about some of our favorite episodes of The Office. Not as funny, but very impactful, this episode. Um, so I believe it's the last, the very last episode and last scene. 
Um, and Annie Bernard uh, looks at the camera. Do you know the scene? Uh, keep going. Let's maybe. Okay. So Andy, um, he looks at the camera. He's like, "Here I am. I've got my dream job, and you know everything's kind of going my way." And then I look around me and I'm leaving all this behind. These people are really important to me. And he goes, why couldn't someone have told me I was in the good old days when we were in them? Yes. Someone should write a song about that. The weird thing is now I'm exactly where I want to be. I got my dream job at Cornell and I'm still just thinking about my old pals. Only now they're the ones I made here. I wish there was a way to know you're in the good old days before you've actually left them. And here's the thing, and we'll get into this, I'm sure, but the good old days is absolutely something that I hear people speak about all the time. And you can't recreate the good old days. However, however, as I said to the team at noon with this, this, this office episode over and over again, you can't recreate them but you can create new ones. And, and here's the deal. You are in the good old days. Like right now we're in it. You and I, we just have to observe it and know it and be in it. Um, so the office has so much humor for me, but also has a real lasting impact on um, kind of an emotional side on that, that, that component. I just favorite scene. Mike and I talked about this one. He talked about it being his favorite scene. I went back and watched him like, you're right. That's it. So that's amazing. I, I was just thinking about, you know, this idea of what is a good, what, is, what does the world's best boss look like? And you're right. It, it is a boss who is willing to do whatever he or she asks his team to do. Um, and the mm-hmm. fact that Michael's not willing to walk over the coals mm-hmm. sort of speaks <laughs> volumes. <laughs> uh, he makes up the difference in other places, but um, yeah. that was a, a, a moment, wasn't it? For sure. You know, he's such an endearing, endearing guy, but gosh, at the same time, um, many times wasn't very likable either. When you think about some of the, the antics that he pulled many times over, but I, oh gosh, I could watch that show over and over again. Yeah. I mean, oftentimes he's a walking contradiction. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So why, or why does that not work when you're running a company? Oh, consistency is key. Like, again, you know, walk the talk, right? It's uh, overplayed saying, I'm sure, but it's it's really true. The consistency on that one, you know, as an example, let, let me let me give you this example. So I had the, the privilege of being um, CEO of two different companies. And I remember distinctly, there was a pattern that happened when I was the new CEO at both companies in terms of how the reaction was happening as well as the timeline where it started to shift. And here's where I'm going. You come in a CEO, there's a lot of people going, who is this guy? Yeah, new sheriff in town. What's the deal? Yeah. Some are like scared. Some are like, I want to learn. And this is the big bucket of people are like, I'm a skeptic. Yeah, what's going to change? You know, I like the status quo. They don't want it. They don't want it. But I will tell you over time is I think what ended up happening was, um, you know, my my title at both companies, uh, the CEO was the chief eternal optimist. And and that doesn't mean everything's great. The optimist means I believe in hope and possibility. 
And so that is kind of how I approach things. And I think the way the skeptics first see it is like, this guy's not for real. And I could feel it. I don't say it. I just keep going. So walking the talk and taking consistent actions. To be fair, I mean, to turn CEO into chief eternal optimist, I mean, that wasn't lost on me. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of smarmy, right? I mean, it's kind of like. (laughs) I uh, didn't think of it that way, but it might be. (laughs) Campy. It's kind of, I don't know. Some people would even say like, woo, woo. It's kind of like. That's fair. That's fair. You know, I, I immediately have a, like a visceral reaction, like. And you know, you know, what's, what's interesting is the reason I did that is I didn't, I was trying to take away formality and approaching like approachability. And yeah. that's why I changed the title to make it much more toned down to make basically we're all in this together. Level the playing field. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. don't create the sense of like power hierarchy. That was my intent, but that's a fair point. I didn't think of that. I really, I never thought of that, what you just said. And that could be part of driving some skepticism. In fairness, I think, um, back to me, I think within, I'd say it's three, six, nine months, it shifts and they're like, wait a sec, this guy's all right. He's one of us. Um, yeah, if there's no hypocrisy mm-mm. and you're consistent, you know, we were talking off camera about, you know, what is a brand mm-hmm. and you're going to maybe replicate that conversation here for a minute. Like, you know, how do you build a brand? Like, what is a brand to begin with? Well, Here's one thing I will say is um, your biggest raving fans of a brand is your team. It's your team. And here's the other thing. Your team, in many ways, at least the, the, the companies and brands that I've had the privilege of being part of, it, the team is the brand. The brand is the team. And so it's, you know, the people with like-minded beliefs. What do we believe, right? What are we trying to achieve, Simon Sinek's why example, um, and that common purpose. And so that brand is all about this emotional connection and what that means with each other, but also means therefore the extended group is the raving fan base outside the team. And then all the different people buying into it, the Nike swoosh, what does the swoosh mean? What's that emotional connection and attributes that I'm having around that? Yeah. But you're also being modest. I mean, it starts from the top down, does it not? Well, the top down sets the tone for sure in the strategy and the vision and trying to help people see where possibility is. So you're right. That does come usually from the top. Um, and you know, I, but it, but it, it, it's alive. So it has to really come through, through all facets vertically, not just at the top. Um, but for sure, you know, that, you know, my job is to help, um, create the conditions and, and help create what, the. Uh, the visibility of the future state of the world that we're trying to create. And then we go get that. Um, but that comes with skepticism too, to be clear. So again, brand, um, good brands are consistent, just like people and good leaders. They're consistent. Here's what I am. Here's what I'm not. Let's go. Yeah, and I also think if you're at the top, you're the founder, you're the, the CEO, whether you're a chief optimist or chief officer, you're sort of, you're setting the tone, but you're also giving permission. Uh, you know, you, I think it's where the culture starts uh, to trickle down. And I think about this example of, have you ever seen uh, Snoop Dogg's speech when he got his uh, star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? I have not seen that. It's amazing. Okay. Uh, so I'll, I'll play a clip of it right now. 
Last but not least, I want to thank me. <laughs> I want to thank me for believing in me. I want to thank me for doing all this hard work. I want to thank me for having no days off. I want to thank me for, for never quitting. I want to thank me for always being a giver and trying to give more than I receive. I want to thank me for trying to do more right than wrong. I want to thank me for just being me at all times. Snoop Dogg, you a bad Anyone who's ever done anything of any kind of significance, there's some sort of friction. It could be an internal mental struggle, like, you mm -hmm. know, I'm ready to quit. I don't have enough in the tank. And, you know, you want to give up, but then you can push through or other people telling you, you know, you have no right. What gives you the right to try a podcast? Kevin, you've never done a podcast before. You have no track record or history. There's no analytics. How dare you start a podcast? You know, there's always going to be pushback friction or, you know, any of the number of, uh, mm -hmm obstacles of getting away and yet it's got to start you've got to be your own best fan first mm. if you don't believe in you how do you expect anyone else to believe in you and so that's why i tend to think that this culture emanates must emanate from the source first and then sort of you know flow out like this fountain you know into the waters of of your team i think you're right in so many ways. It starts with self-belief. But I'd be lying if I didn't say there's a lot of self-doubt. I'm not a big believer in fake it until you make it. Might joke about it once in a while. I'm really not a big believer in that. However, I do think there is um, putting yourself forward to feel confident even when you have that doubt all around you. And, and I think, I think that emanated with, with the noon team is I, I did try to, and the other teams that I've been on as well is how do I move forward with confidence? However, keep in mind, as you proceed and move forward with confidence, be open to other opinions, always be open, constant learning as you and I talked about growth mindset, keep learning. Don't assume you have all the answers. It doesn't mean you're not confident. So move forward. Um, but you, and I think that's what happened with the noon team, um, in particular and, and why this team did so well, uh, is we went forward. I went forward with confidence. They went forward with confidence. They knew they could make a mistake. Um, as long as it's not sloppy, it's a calculated risk and it's like, it didn't work fine. Let's go. Let's pick ourselves up. Um, and it's really all about how do we serve each other to help the other person get to where they want to go. Yeah. And it reminds me of another story, maybe uh, the Steve Jobs story. I don't, to my knowledge, Steve Jobs never wrote code. He wasn't like Bill Gates or Zuckerberg. Mm. Like Steve was good at a lot of things, but um, he surrounded himself with people who were smart enough to figure out the problems that he wanted to solve. And so, you know, he used his team. Uh, maybe he's an extreme example. He's a, a Michael Jordan kind of player where he wasn't always the most liked guy, yeah. Uh, you know, hated in some rooms, right? Yeah. Uh, berated his people at times, I, I hear. I've heard too. Um, mm -hmm. And even estranged with his own family, children. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and yet was able to achieve incredible heights mm -hmm. 
you know, with his vision and his talent, but still, you know, he was a guy who surrounded himself with amazing people and demanded excellence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, and by the way, like trying to accomplish things and surrounding yourself with people that are different from you, I, I, I couldn't agree more. Like, as the chief eternal optimist, that basically means I'm leaning in with a yes and mentality, an abundance mentality. Yes, we like we're going to get there. However, um, what I need around me is very pragmatic thinkers. And I had a lot of pragmatic thinkers in my career where I would, I would, I surround myself at home with a pragmatic thinker. My wife is way more pragmatic than, than I am. And she's like, hold on. Have you thought about this, 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 this? No, 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 mm-hmm. no. Um, and, and that doesn't necessarily stop me, but it makes me stronger and more conviction as to what we're doing, um, or adjust accordingly. Again, always be open. So I think, I think, Surrounding yourself with people who have different skill sets, you do not need all the answers. Um, I, can't, I still believe no one wins alone. No one wins alone, ultimately, at the end of the day. Yeah. Can we stay on Apple for a minute? Sure. Uh, so I want to ask two follow-up questions. One, yeah. you know, you're the culture guy. Okay. So I want you to talk about, uh, you know, weigh in on this. Do you think the culture at Apple is unique and special? And if so, how? Um, you know, how did they... How do they create that culture? And then maybe talk about some of the the downsides to that culture. Yeah. Um, so I'll preface with, I don't think I know anyone that works at Apple. Um, uh, so I'd love to have more of an inside knowledge versus a perceived view from afar. That said, we all have a perception. Um, I'll start with this as the, uh, the overall output of the culture is pretty darn remarkable. Um, may, maybe the best brand on the planet, top 10 for sure, top five for sure. Um, and then we could debate after that. So this is a culture about innovation. Uh, this is um, constant improvement. Um, I think design is another key component that you see come through. Um, they, they really, I think they really do take a long game um, in, in what their approach from Steve jobs, um, to even where they are today. Right. Uh, but I think there's been a, my guess is the culture has probably transformed quite a bit. So when you think about the transition going from Steve jobs to Tim cook, I think Steve jobs, based on what we're hearing, uh, from him, he, he was the type of leader that I think had a very um, clear vision, which is great. Um, and people could rally behind that. Uh, I I'm hesitating because I want to say, I don't think it was empowering, but maybe it was, maybe it was empowering and that it was, you're going to stay within these boundaries and I need you to deliver, find a way. So in fairness, he probably really believed in his talent. Like I'm going to push you to a whole other extreme that you've never been pushed before. And if you've had coaches like that, actually those tough love coaches can be very memorable in a good way too. Like I I've had tough love coaches, especially in hockey, but a little bit business. And I think they made me stronger as a result. So here, here's what I would say. Culture, innovative design focused, um, very clear parameters. It's this, and it's an all in approach. Like we will find a way and don't be distracted by anything else. There's also a privacy component. That's really interesting too, is I'm counting on you 
And I don't want the external forces coming in in any way. You stay focused. Mm. And I think that's really fascinating. But very few companies can do it to that extent. You're right. I, I hadn't considered that. It, it is a company full of secret keepers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, the stuff that they must be working on today that we won't see for another decade, and yet you don't hear about it unless accidentally someone leaves the technology at a bar somewhere on purpose. You know, to your point, as if we're talking this through, it's uh, if you think of like the military, right? And let's go Navy SEALs, right? And here's here's our job. Here's our task. Nobody's going to know except for you're on that team, which is going to very much come from a hierarchy perspective, a little bit more command and control, but you're going to have highly talented people in there. And now you're empowered to go perform the task mm-hmm. and get there. That can be pretty thrilling for many people. It may not be right for everybody. And that's the other thing. If you're really clear on your culture, your identity, and this is how we behave, this is how we act, then it will quickly weed out who doesn't belong either. And that's okay. Because not all cultures are right for everybody. Mm Kind of like all brands aren't for everybody. Let me ask it another way. So a lot of people doubted that when Steve Jobs passed, Uh, whether Apple could survive or sustain its growth. And yet it's had tremendous growth Mm -hmm. and innovation under Tim Cook and the rest of the team. Do you think that's due solely in part to culture? Has culture made Apple arguably the best brand in the world, the richest brand in the world? Yeah, I guess it has, actually. They're very clear on who they are and how they behave. I never really thought specifically on Apple because I don't have an inside knowledge on them. But I fundamentally fundamentally believe the biggest competitive advantage um, of any team in life, in business, in sports that sustains comes down to culture. So, yeah. Um, And clearly, um, Tim Cook is a very different personality, clearly. Uh, And he's added more, you know, market capitalization to that company than Steve Jobs ever did. But he's built off a very strong foundation. Um, and so I think he's really found a way to scale, but hold true to what they are. So my guess is actually there's more of the same than not. The more I think about, even though the leaders are so different and there has been some shifts, I'm sure, in the culture. Um, but at the end of the day, there's probably a lot the same. Yeah. I mean, you, you think you look at Steve and what I've read about him or watched in interviews, you know, he's the authoritarian, you know, he's in charge. He's pounding his fist. He's yeah. demanding it according to his vision. Tim Cook is, you know, sort of like uh, your kind uncle. <laughs> yeah. A very smart, uh, brilliant, kind uncle, but he has a much softer touch. I mean, he's, you know, uh, of like maybe seems like personality-wise the exact opposite of Steve Jobs. He seems more nurturing and, and you know, a little bit more in touch. And, um, you know, he... He has a, a very different approach, and yet the culture has sustained under two very different leadership styles. And probably because their values are very clear and how they act and behave around the values, they remain the same and consistent, um, um, passing the torch from those two leaders. Uh, yet there is a different style that you can also have from from the from the top down. And, you know, clearly Tim Cook's style is uh one that I think more people can actually connect with, if I was to guess, in terms of where people would want to work, your talent pool probably expands dramatically um, in that case. Um, but clearly, you know, Steve Jobs found a way to bring out the best in people, for sure. 
Yeah. And so maybe that's a good segue to this idea of there's no I in team. You know, um, Steve Jobs was the I, you know, the, the singular, the, the visionary, the founder. Uh, of course, there was Waz, but like, you know, uh, you know, every, uh, every yin has to have a yang, right? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And so uh, tell me that story that you were telling me off camera about you, yeah. you and your your bike riding former NFL friend about this <laughs> no I in team. Tell me the story of the origins even of the podcast, the brand name. Yeah. So let me let me take you back in time. Um earlier this year, uh I was doing a ride with a group called Team One Mile. And we um there was a group of I think there's twelve, fourteen riders. Um, this is road bikes. Road bikes. We are basically gonna ride seven hundred miles in six days. Uh, in the Florida heat in May, um, we started in Key West and then circled up to the Gulf side, um, like rode our bikes up to the Gulf side and then across through Orlando back over the Atlantic side and up to Jacksonville. So we were retracing the steps of Hurricane Ian, which decimated the state earlier. And we were raising money, um, if you will, um, money and, and awareness around veterans that have been negative, negatively affected. So that's the premise of how this all started. And you're all kitted out. You've got like the same, you're wearing the same yep. thing. Or? We're all wearing, we're all wearing team one mile, which was stars and stripes. Ex and that included me, um, even though th there was actually two Canadians on the team. Uh, and so Farah and, and myself are actually two Canadians on the team, but yeah, we were all kitted out and, um, riding with pride and, and doing whatever we could to, to make a difference. So here's, here's how the story goes. Um, so, uh, someone who became a good friend of mine, um, Don Davey, uh, who lives in Jacksonville, actually, he's a former NFL player played for, uh, both the green Bay Packers and, um, Jacksonville Jaguars. And gosh, I, I don't think I've laughed so hard for six days than I did, um, with the time of my conversations with Don on the bike, which is kind of weird, um, laughing that hard. Cause it was exhausting to do well over a hundred miles a day, um, at the pace that these people were doing. And so, <laughs> so, um, one of the, st uh, days we, we do a quick pit stop for a lunch and it was at a place called fire, uh, firehouse subs, um, which is uh, Don is a part owner of. And, um, it's like a sandwich shop, like a, yeah, like, um, franchise. it's kind of like a subway, but Don, if you're listening, but better, <laughs> um, high end uh, subways, high end, you know, sandwich. What, what it is, is, um, and I don't know the whole story behind it, but I will say this is they give back to first responders and firefighters, um, to a whole different level that you've ever seen. And so they, they've just given back millions of dollars, lots of equipment, um, to the different firefighters. So they get back through this firehouse subs chain. It's actually owned by a Canadian company based out of Toronto now. Um, but so Don, um, still is franchise owner and, um, several and, he, uh, so we're coming into a, uh, finish the ride, um, or the lunchtime break. And I dart out in front. I wasn't in the front of the pack at this time in the Peloton. And I dart out in front jokingly and finish first. And then Don's mom is there. She's like, Donnie, why weren't you in front? That's the story how it starts. So then Don's been thinking about this for days. And every night we did a gratitude session where we tell the team what we're grateful for that day. And then the next day we would basically get back on the bike and hammer it again as a team. And so the last night Don waited to tell this story. And Don says to the team, you know, I never thought there was an IN team. And I played on a lot of football teams and in business. And I'm sure there's not an IN team. 
this Canadian, I'm not sure he gets it. That being me, of course. So he goes, I wonder if it is spelled differently, pronounced differently in Canada. So French Canadian looks it up online. He's like, sure as shit. It says a keep as he holds up a keep is the French translation. And so there is an I in team. Um, and it is his point. I will say this, um, all kidding aside, which I love that story when Don told it and it created a lot of laughter for me and, and the rest of the, the writers. Um, there really is an I in team. The I comes for, think about possibility, right? The optimist, right? So that's imagine, right? Then there's the individual accountability. Then there's interconnectedness. And then there's even the implementation of it, which is our values and actions and how it all comes to life. And that all formulates this identity of the culture. So I actually think, Don, um, there is an I in team um, in many ways. And, and yes, it does come to the individuals and I, but it also comes to just social connectedness and interconnectedness. I love that story. Uh, can, can you expand a little bit more on the uh, word pronounce it for us again, those of us who are speaking English? Yeah. So when I show, I, I created a logo with my um, good friend, Josh, uh, and it says A-keep, E-Q-U-I-P-E. To me, it looks like equip. Exactly. And that's what a lot of people, when they see it, they go, oh, equip, I get it. Like equip you with the tools. I'm like, Okay, well, if that's how you take it, that's actually still works. <laughs> is it, is it a similar um, connotation then? I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, you know, equip each other and what that means. But um, but that is the direct French translation for for team. Yeah, um, is a keep. So I is spelled sounds like an e. Mm -hmm. um, and so, what's the point of this podcast? What's it all about? As we start here on the episode one, first journey, first few steps of thousands. Listen, I um. I've heard this my whole career. I'm still hearing it now that leaders, teammates, employees are all really frustrated. They're frustrated. In fact, they're exhausted and it's causing um, a human energy crisis. And they're exhausted um, to the point of you've got apathy happening in the workplace where people kind of just go through their emotions or you have quiet quitting um, or you have quiet firing where you have restructuring going, all right, well, we're going to cut out this fat, if you will, um, and just kind of trim this down. And I just I, th I think at the end of the day, you win or lose and you thrive in life as well if you're connected to people that you really want to be around and you want to succeed with. And so the problem that I'm trying to solve is how can I help share what I've learned in my life up until this point um, about how team can make you a better person, can make you perform better, and you can help each other get to a whole other level. It's not a zero-sum game. And I think it's it's a constant problem. And Tom Peters says, I love this, this comment, he goes, the soft stuff is the hard stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what this is. It is the hard stuff. It's it's EQ as much or more than IQ, what you're saying. Right. You know, the the reality is is you you need the talent, you need the skill set in order to do that. Um, but the ultimate differentiator for any individual or team is gonna be the EQ. And, and how do you do that? And how do you help people rise around you? That's the key. The saying, my, my dad used to say this to me all the time is like, Kevin, pay attention to your friends and who they are. And he's like, you are who you surround yourself with. And so I used to repeat that to my teams. I still re will repeat it to my teams. And then I'll add my next line, comma, 
and they are surrounding themselves with you. That's why there's an I in team because you have a responsibility. Anyway, I think, I just think there's a massive opportunity here for businesses and teams and team and sports to really focus on culture. It's not rocket science, but you have to do it intentionally and you need to be all in and the rewards are just amazing as a result. I, I, that, uh, Peter Drucker quote comes into my brain. I think, what did he say? Uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Correct. Uh, what do you think he meant by that? Well, I think it's what we're talking about here is at the end of the day, without people, listen, we're all in the business of people, people serving, people serving people. Like no matter what you do, you are like you and I today, you're serving people. Mm -hmm. I'm serving people. Well, so wait, I, I hear the, I hear the, the, the birds chirping. I, Kevin, but what about AI? Aren't we now living in the era of AI? You know, people are going to get replaced by, uh, Artificial intelligence. And then the other comment on that would be your AI is not going to replace you. People that know AI and work with AI are going to replace you. So you've got to adopt that. That's not going away. Um, AI, we can, we can go on a banter, uh, a whole banter on that one too. Um, it definitely, it's, it's going to change things for sure. Um, but I, on the Peter Drucker specifically, I, I I'll just say he clearly was talking about the EQ and he was talking about the synergy and the power of teams and what that means. And, and if you can't get the execution and the momentum from teams, then no matter how good your strategy is, you're, you're doomed. In fact, you could honestly, you could somewhat succeed, somewhat, um, succeed with a really strong, culture um and a strategy that's not so good if you just execute relentlessly and keep pursuing and, and you just keep going um however obviously personally I, th I think it's a yes and though um and it's you do need both yes culture can eat strategy for breakfast but but and it's a big but you really do need both. Like you need to envision what's the future state of the world you're trying to create you need to make choices of what the priorities are and you need to decide what are you not going to do and then your culture is really what's going to manifest it because because strategy lives inside this ecosystem of culture. And I th that's ultimately where he's going. And it's not vice versa. Too many, too many leaders think of culture as I checked that box this month. <laughs> it's like, no, you didn't. We put a foosball table in the, uh, in the right. lobby. That's our, I mean, that's our culture. Right. Right. Is that, is that good or bad? That, well, that's totally the answer. Um, I don't think foosballs are tables are bad. I don't think the big beanbag chairs are bad. And I don't think music or fun offices are bad. I think those are really great things. Um, but it isn't what makes a culture. Listen, I, I'll tell you this. Um, let me give you a couple of examples to show you the power of just people. One, when I came into, um, the noon team, the business, uh, it was growing, but as it was slowing growth. And so, um, there was actually a really phenomenal strategy, um, that my predecessor had put in place. So it had done really great work, but the team was losing their luster. Um, I don't think that's what the board saw to be clear. Uh, they just felt like we needed to make a change. And I'm sure they knew exactly why, but here's what I will tell that what, what's interesting is I came in, kind of focused on some key enablers that um, were kind of adopting me early on. Remember I told you it takes longer for people to adopt me over time um, for the, to see the consistency? There's also some early adopters. Find those. And um, we quickly uh, kind of connected on some things that were happening. And we just put an amplifier about, about it and got this thing rolling. 
And what's interesting is the first month I was at noon, we overachieved budget first month. Uh, for people who don't know what noon is. Oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just I give us a granted. quick little, yeah. Just... Noon, noon is, um, the ultra hydration. Uh, it's an effervescent tablet drop in your water bottle. Think of it as a, um, high electrolyte, very low sugar, um, you know, an alternative to sugary sports drinks that are out there. And it's N W N. N. Correct. Yeah. N-U-U-N. So nutrition uncompromised, made up word. Um, so that's that's kind of the background on it. Uh, and it's uh, now owned by the Nestle Health Science team. Back on on the the momentum. So the first month I was there, we beat budget. The second month we beat budget. The third month we beat budget. Here's the thing. It wasn't me. There's absolutely nothing, nothing I could do. So maybe it was a fear. I don't know. Maybe it was just a spark. I don't know. Probably a spark generated by something, some positive, some fear, who knows? And boom, that was all culture because the strategy couldn't change. And then did it again, did it again. And then momentum builds momentum, mojo builds mojo. mojo. So my point on that one, strategy, right? Or culture eat strategy for breakfast that is an example of a culture just getting an injection that that's not sustainable unless it's got substance to it right so i think i think that's really key i think the other one though when i look at um noon over time you know this was a company before it got acquired that was around for well over 15 years and a lot of people don't know that and that to sustain that business over that period of time is going to take a culture that's really passionate about the mission and that's the difference with culture is it can help immediately but the key is actually, it's about how it sustains success over time. So you can go through those blips and those challenges. Yeah. And we sort of come back full circle to this Apple discussion. I mean, if you want to maybe understand why Apple has survived the Rocky Roads, whether that's, you know, uh, when Steve Jobs left, Jobs left the company, you know, or got ousted from the company, you know, early on. Right. Uh it, it, you know, started to die because it didn't have that uh, culture maybe in place or the vision. And then uh, as he passed the baton to Tim Cook, it's continued because of the momentum, the people, the culture that was already established, you know, arguably already had that momentum going for them. And even if the leadership changed, the culture is still intact. Yeah. the Your example and bringing it back up with, with, Apple makes total sense. In fact, you know, recall the analogy with Howard Schultz and Starbucks, mm -hmm. you know, he stepped aside, S Starbucks kind of started to flounder. He stepped back in. I don't think it's because Howard Schultz was smarter than the CEO that he brought in. Maybe he was, I, I don't know. But what he did do is he got back to the foundation of like, who are we? What's our identity? How do we do things? What is that like? There's a real famous email from him that came. I don't know if you ever saw that one. It was really good. Um, talking about we've lost kind of the je ne sais quoi and, and the emotion behind the brand and what we were all about. So I think um, I think those are some really good examples of, of the team is the brand and the brand is the team. Uh, Apple, Starbucks, Noon Hydration. Is Noon Hydration in the league of those two? <laughs> maybe okay team let's bring it in hopefully you take away something today that you're able to reapply to your world the purpose and intention of this pod is simply to give you the tools to excel both individually and as a team let's be crystal clear life 
is a team sport. This applies to the game of life, business, and in sports. I've said this before, there really is an I in team. I was born and raised in Canada, and the French translation for team there is a keep. <gasps> so yes, literally, there is an I in a keep, and therefore, the meaning of team. It starts with the individual, that's you and me. We flourish with how we manifest our need to be interconnected. All this leading to imagining a future state of the world we want to create. And we will. So that's all for today. Let's go get it. I would love to hear from each and every one of you or any one of you. Um, so you can find me at, let me know what you're thinking, um, on Instagram or uh, Twitter or known, otherwise known as X today uh, at the handle clean underscore lantern. That's clean underscore lantern. Fire away. And one uh, last request, if I may, and if you feel so compelled, please feel free to leave a review on wherever you listen to your podcasts and feel free to share as well. Um, thank you. 